Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Anniversary Month continues with some outstanding legacy programs from our radio vault. We're celebrating 89 years of proclaiming that God is still on the throne and prayer changes things. We're able to be here on the radio because of you. We're able to produce resources, books, and DVDs because of you. Your prayers and faithful financial support allow us to bring clarity to the chaos. Would you please consider giving a gift today to help Watchmen on the Wall and SWRC continue bringing sense to all of the nonsense? Please, call today with your anniversary gift. 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. You can also show your support through our website, swrc.com. That's swrc.com. Thank you for your support of Watchmen on the Wall. Today, we open the radio vault to listen to a program from the past. This program features Pastor Larry Spargimino and David Ingram discussing the origins of the holidays we all know, Christmas, Halloween, and Easter. Specifically, they look at the pagan traditions of these holidays. Let's listen and learn from Pastor Larry and David Ingram. I've been in ministry for over half a century. One of the blessings of my ministry is that I get to meet a lot of great Christians. Now, when I say great Christians, I'm not talking about celebrities. These are great Christians because they know that all that they are and all that they have done is only because of Jesus. They give all the credit to God. David Ingram was one of those people. David was a great communicator of Bible truth, and David Ingram knew it, but he gave God all the credit. His life verse was 1 Corinthians 15.10, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. David Ingram, welcome to the Watchman on the Wall broadcast. Well, my, it seems like old times, Kenneth Hill. We're back together doing programs with Southwest Radio Church. It's been a little while, but it just seems like old home week. Well, we're glad to have you here. Once upon a time, many years ago, you were the program director and host here at Southwest Radio Church, were you not? Yeah, that's right. And I had a wonderful time out there uh, doing a lot of research and doing a lot of programs and getting acquainted with a lot of wonderful people, many of whom still work there at Southwest Radio Church. And it's I miss the gang. I'm going to have to get back out there one of these days and just say hi to all the friends we have out there. Well, you haven't been just resting since you've been here with us at Southwest Radio Church Ministries. You've been doing a lot of work with Point of Prophecy Ministries, with Point and Counterpoint Radio Broadcast, and now you have a new book. Now, this new book, the title, please, is Pagan Traditions, is it not? Yes, it is. Tell me in a nutshell what the book's about, and then let's delve into it a little bit. Well, we are well aware that much of what we do at Christmas time, Easter time, and especially at Halloween, well, has pagan origins. Much of the way that we celebrate some of our favorite holidays, well, really have 
I would have to call them suspicious kinds of origins and intentions, because frankly, we find in the Old Testament and the New Testament that some of the things that we get involved in and the religious system that is reflected to a great extent at Christmas and at Halloween and at Easter, well, that system was something that God opposed all throughout Scripture, and yet we find ourselves dabbling with it, embracing it, and getting a little bit too involved in it for my purposes, and that's why I wrote the book, to tell us how do we separate what is genuine, what is Christian, from the holidays that we celebrate, separate that from what is purely pagan, and in my understanding of things, rather unwelcome so far as God is concerned. How do we celebrate these kinds of things without offending the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the Father of our Lord Jesus? You've done a fine job of presenting in quite an easy format where paganism began and how that it has continued throughout the centuries. Let's start at the beginning, if we may. Take us all the way back there to the Middle East, to the Fertile Crescent, and tell me, how did we see paganism begin? Where did it start? Well, all paganism began at the Tower of Babel, Kenneth. And what happens here is we see that during the time of Nimrod, the great hunter, as he is called in Scripture, there developed in the Tower of Babel area a number of different religious systems. And these included the system of astrology. We first began to do our stargazing and our addressing the celestial bodies there at the Tower of Babel. Then another very important thing that began at the Tower of Babel was the use of idols, the use of figurines and various kinds of things, including standing images and other kinds of things, both made of rock, some made of wood, but images that in fact represented little gods and false gods, false deities, and this is where the worship of these idols began. Not only that, but there at the Tower of Babel, we began worshiping nature, we began worshiping the creature more than the creator. And so there was a general decay in man's understanding of God. You know, the evolutionists today would like to tell us that we evolved from polytheism kinds of things into a monotheistic view of God, but in fact we didn't. We went, in fact, exactly the opposite way. We began with a monotheistic understanding of who and what God is, and we devolved into an idolatrous system where, in Romans chapter 1, professing to be wise, we became fools and we began worshiping the creature more than the creator. We exchanged the truth of God for a lie, according to Romans chapter 1. And this all really had its origin at the Tower of Babel. And this is also where we began doing such things as seances, where we began doing such things as necromancy, in contacting supposedly the dead. This is where demonology really got its toehold in the human family. And so what we see then is by the time of Abraham, who lived at Ur of the Chaldees, we find that Abraham and his father Terah were in fact idolaters, and they worshipped probably the moon goddess of Mesopotamia, and they worked perhaps in the ziggurat at Ur, and they were priests 
And in fact, the word Abram means father of the high place. We discern from that and from other portions of Scripture that Abraham and his father Terah were probably priests there in the ziggurat of Ur of the Chaldees. So what happened was that God called Abraham out of that environment. He called Abraham into a land that he was preparing for him and for his progeny. And the whole idea was, Abraham, you're being called out so that you will separate yourself from paganism. Separate yourself unto the God of the universe, the Creator. By the way, I think that call is very much in vogue today, that those of us who call upon the name of the Lord should separate ourselves from those things that are purely pagan, that are purely uh, heathenistic in the way that they approach things. Because in all of the Bible, beginning, oh, probably in the 24th chapter of Genesis, in all of the Bible, we find our God totally opposed to this system and requiring of his people that they not only separate, but they're not to have graven images, they're not to have any gods before him, they're not to take his name in vain, they're to be pure and holy in the way they address God. So all of the Bible addresses this problem. We're talking with David Ingram about his new book, Pagan Traditions, and specifically about the origins of paganism. In reality, and David, you were saying there that the humanist historians will say that man began as a polytheist and became a monotheist in certain cultures, and the Jewish culture, of course, being the primary one. However, in reality, it was Adam worshiping, communing, walking with God immediately after creation. Yeah, that's right. And so Adam worshiped the one true and the living God. And then what happened? Well, we had degradation, we had moral conflagration, we had the time of violence in the earth, we had death and destruction and mayhem as it was in the days of Noah. And guess what? It's going to be that way when the Son of Man comes again. (laughs) You know, all of this is very pertinent. I think that what God has done and is doing, even through this book, is just calling our attention to the fact that as sophisticated as we think we are as Christians, as immune from that kind of thing as we think we are, in fact, we are dabbling when we get into the greenery of Christmas and the Easter eggs of Easter, all of these other things. We're really dabbling with not only the occult, but those things that offend our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. If they offended him in the Old Testament, they offend him today. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, you spent quite a bit of time dealing with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why are they important? Why was it so important to set the stage as we look at the beginnings of paganism? Well, because, in fact, when Abraham was called out of his land, or of the Chaldees, God called him to have a separated life, and a life that would be, in fact, dedicated completely to him. But So what happens here in the 24th chapter of the book of Genesis is Abraham, well, he just gets kind of old. His age begins to catch up with him, and he calls for his friend and the chief steward of his household, whose name was Eleazar. He calls him and says, listen, I want you to go and find a wife for my son Isaac. 
And in verse 4, he says, But thou shalt go unto my country, and to my kindred, and take a wife unto my son Isaac. And so that's what Eleazar begins to do. It's interesting that Abraham says in verse 6, Beware that thou bring not my son there again. The Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house, and from the land of my kindred, and which spake unto me, and that swear unto me, saying, Unto thy seed will I give this land. He shall send his angel before thee. But do you see that God had called Abraham to separate himself from that land? And now, here's the prospect of looking for, well, a near of kin to marry Isaac. Now, would Abraham want to send his son back into this idolatrous land where idolatry is rampant, where fertility rights and things like that were running rampant? No. He says to Eleazar, don't let this happen. Don't let my son go back. You go in and you find the wife for him. Bring her back. But I don't want him to uh, go into that land. Now, what's interesting, Ken, is this. In the very next generation, Jacob, one of the sons of this union between Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob goes into the land. He went into the house of Laban. And when he came back into the land, what happened? Well, one of his wives, Rachel, brought an idol back with her. And this was called a teraphim. And this little tin god kind of thing was a god that symbolized ownership of property. And not only did Rachel infect the caravan coming back out of the land of Haran and back into Canaan, not only did she infect that caravan with idolatry, but she also stole what was the equivalent of a seal of ownership of Laban's property. Well, of course, you remember the story. Laban, he wasn't so much interested in her being missing, but my, when he thought of the fact that my idols are being stolen from me, he went immediately, took his crew, and they went and chased down Jacob, and they take the girls back with them. No, they took their gods back, or at least they tried to. And it isn't until we get into the all about the 35th, chapter of the book of Genesis, that Jacob begins to have, uh, well, some thoughts about the idols and about the, the false gods that Rachel had brought back with her, and there's a little revival that goes uh, on here, and in chapter 35, verse 1, he says, Arise, go up to Bethel, God says to Jacob, and dwell there, and make there an altar unto thy God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. And then Jacob said unto his household, and to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you, and be clean, and change your garments, and arise, and go up to Bethel, which means the house of God, and I will make there an altar unto God, who answered me in the day of my distress. You see, here again we find that God's people are required to separate themselves from paganism in whatever form it comes. And in this case, it was the form of idolatry. And so God called upon them to go to his house, but to do it clean. Now, don't come to the house of God being defiled with false gods, images, false practices, practices that are occult and so forth. 
it seems that what we're talking about here is walking by faith, not by sight. Is that a reasonable assumption? Well, that certainly is part of it. But the most important thing is to walk separated from idolatry and from the things of the world. We are called upon to come out from among them and to be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And those things that defile the man, yeah, we'd say that these are things that would come forth out of the person. That's what the Lord Jesus would say. But those things that offend God are clearly delineated in Scripture, such things as worshiping idols, building groves, building altars on every high hill and under every green tree. These kinds of things were offensive to God in antiquity. But the fact is, the God of antiquity is the God that I serve today, and he is still offended by practices that are less than Christian, less than pure so far as our Christian walk is concerned. And I'm not saying that these things are worthy of death. I'm not saying that these things are going to remand somebody to hell or anything like that. But I'm saying, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could clean up our act and still celebrate good, legitimate holidays in a way that would be pleasing to God rather than in some ways offending Him. That's all that the book is about. In order to demonstrate that these things are offensive to God, we've done a lot of research, a lot of Bible study. There's a, if you want to use this book as a devotional kind of thing, if you want to use it to simply study the Bible from a different perspective, perhaps, than you've done before, then that's the value of this book. That's the beauty of it. It's based entirely on Scripture, and it studies the Scripture and brings it out, I think, in a pretty good way. I think we've done well with it, just to give the background on some of these things. David Ingram is our guest here on the Watchman on the Wall broadcast. We're talking about his book, Pagan Traditions, and we've been talking about the beginnings of paganism, if you will, and its relationship to those who would follow the true and the living God. David, I've got a question about the Ten Commandments. How do they fit in to the growth and then the retardation of that growth of paganism? The Lord God, in calling his people out of Egypt, which, by the way, had become infected with these forms of idolatry. The Lord God called his people into a land where he would be sort of a landlord, they would be the tenant, and he laid down some rules for them to follow. And some of these rules were directly related to the paganism they were coming out of in the land of Egypt. God says, I don't want that to infest my land among my people. So I'm going to give you Ten Commandments, and three of those commandments deal with the subject of idolatry and the paganism that could be practiced by these same people coming out of Egypt if they continued in these practices would take them back into the land of Canaan. God says, no, no, you're not to worship any gods, you're not to have any gods before me, and you're not to make unto yourselves any graven images. The icons that are prevalent in some churches today are not acceptable so far as God is concerned. We're talking with David Ingram. His book is Pagan Traditions, and you can get the book by calling us here, 800-652-1144. 
pagan traditions of the holidays. We'll have more insight into the pagan traditions of the holidays next time. Today, we have David Ingram's book, Pagan Traditions of the Holidays. This book explores the origins of Easter, Christmas, and Halloween. Order your copy when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. You can always order online, swrc.com. Next up, Marvin McIlvaney looks at two bad things in today's Bible in the News report. We read in Matthew 24, 6, And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye not be troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. The top U.S. military officer told lawmakers that the world is becoming more unstable and the potential for significant international conflict is increasing, not decreasing. Chairman of the Joint Chiefs General Mark Milley and Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin appeared before the House Armed Services Committee in their first testimony before Congress since Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The two Pentagon leaders said the threats from both Russia and China remain significant while they defended the U.S. approach to the war and the flow of arms the U.S. is sending to Ukraine. Milley said that Russia's invasion of Ukraine is the greatest threat to peace and security of Europe and perhaps the world in his 42 years serving in the U.S. military, but added it was heartening to see the world rally around Ukraine. The Russian invasion of Ukraine is threatening to undermine not only European peace and stability, but global peace and stability that my parents and a generation of Americans fought so hard to defend, Milley said. We are now facing two global powers, China and Russia, each with significant military capabilities, both who intend to fundamentally change the rules based on current global order, Milley added. We are entering a world that is becoming more unstable. Several Republicans asked Milley in Austin whether the U.S. failed in its efforts to deter Russian President Vladimir Putin from attacking Ukraine. Milley responded that he did not think Putin could have been deterred unless U.S. forces had been deployed from Ukraine, a scenario he would advise against had it been proposed. Candidly, short of the commitment of U.S. military forces into Ukraine, I'm not sure he was deterrable. This has been a long-term objective of his that goes back years, Milley said. I think the idea of deterring Putin from invading Ukraine, deterring him by the United States, would have required the commitment of U.S. military forces, and I think that would have risked armed conflict with Russia, which I certainly wouldn't have advised. Milley later added that, had the U.S. put forces into Ukraine to fight Putin, this would be a different story. But we made a decision that we weren't going to do that, and we made the decision for the right reasons. And I support those decisions, Milley said, adding he did not want to speculate on what Chinese leaders might extrapolate from what's transpired in Ukraine as it is related to Taiwan. In a related story, Beijing and Moscow advanced a vision of a new world order Wednesday as Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov made his first visit to China since his country launched its invasion of Ukraine. Beijing has refused to condemn the invasion and has provided a level of diplomatic help for an increasingly isolated Russia. U.S. officials have accused China of signaling 
willingness to provide military and economic aid to Russia, while President Joe Biden has compared the invasion of Ukraine to China's crushing of protests in Tiananmen Square in 1989. But on Wednesday, Lavrov painted a picture of a new world order, saying the world was, quote, living through a very serious stage in the history of international relations, close quotes. We, together with you and with our sympathizers, will move towards a multipolar, just, democratic world order, Lavrov said in a video released by the Russian Foreign Ministry ahead of a meeting with Chinese Minister Wang Yi. Foreign Ministry spokesman Wang Wenbin told reporters earlier that Moscow and Beijing would continue efforts in advancing global multipolarity of international relations. China and Russia have become closer in recent years, with Putin notably attending the opening ceremony of the Beijing Winter Olympics only days before the invasion of Ukraine. The Russian leader and China's Xi signed energy deals worth billions of dollars during Putin's trip. Putin met privately with Xi before the opening ceremony in Beijing, and the leaders issued a joint statement afterward showing a united front in the face of Western criticism. The statement, posted on the Kremlin's website, sought to portray Russia and China not as challengers of democracy and freedom on the world stage, but as a provider of it. Without naming any countries by name, the message was clear. The world is changing, and Russia and China won't be held back. China and Russia made it a point of saying in a joint statement earlier this year that they had reaffirmed their firm mutual support in protecting their fundamental interests, state sovereignty, and territorial integrity, and opposed the interference of external forces in their internal affairs. A Christian apologist says a recent declaration out of Beijing is a biblical sign of the end of time. He warns that CBS News recently reported that Russia is building a new democratic world order. Dr. Alex McFarland, a Christian apologist and co-host of the American Family Radio's Exploring the Word program, said recently that this is a sign of the end of time. Basically, the king of the north has long been known to be Russia. The king of the south is almost universally understood to be Egypt. And then in Isaiah 49, it talks about Sinem, which for 200 years, Bible scholars have known this to be China. McFarlane explained about what the Bible mentions of the last days, just before the return of Jesus. That coalition, he said, will be part of a global government, which will include a global police state and a global economy. Revelation 13.17 says that in this new paradigm, nobody can buy or sell unless you play by their rules, the apologist referenced. He advises Christians to get their houses in order and prepare for the Lord's return. I would say, that's good advice. Our featured resource today is the book Pagan Traditions of the Holidays by David Ingram. In Pagan Traditions of the Holidays, David Ingram explores the origins of Easter, Christmas, and Halloween. Make sure you order copies for your family and your church. Call today and order Pagan Traditions of the Holidays, 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or online, swrc.com. Tomorrow, we continue our look inside the Pagan Traditions of the Holidays. 
Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station or by subscribing to our daily Watchman on the Wall podcast. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and has been supported for 89 years by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com. That's swrc.com. Dot com.